0: Can do what you want to us. But we're not going to sit here and listen to you bad mouth the United States of America. Gentlemen!
1: Hey, everyone. This is the Weekend Answer Show. I'm Garrett Faye, and I am with Jim Righeimer. We are breaking down the biggest stories of the week, a ton of news to get to, national news, local news, and some good news. Starting out, though, with some national news, and, Riggie, the news is not good for President Biden. He is polling at about 39 percent approval, disapprovals in the 60s. He's trying to push through this student loan debt forgiveness and also doubling down on abortion. But then when anyone looks at the polling and says, what are the key issues to all Americans across the political spectrum, the gender spectrum? The issue is always the economy, and we see gas prices going up, inflation's out of control. Yet the White House keeps doubling down on things like student loan forgiveness and abortion. What Kool Aid are they drinking, and when are they going to get the message? We're a yeah, couple I, weeks out from election day here.
2: I, I don't know. I mean, it, you're, you're looking at it saying there's some major issues that you have to look into, which is obviously the economy, the economy, and then the third issue is the economy. And, and what they're doing is they're just saying no, it's abortion, 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 because we win on that issue. Except even let, let's say the ninety percent of the people agree with you, which is not true. Let's just say they do. They're not voting on that issue. They don't really care. They may. There's a lot of things you don't like with with different um, candidates, right? You don't get to go create your candidate. You got to pick one that's there. You know, I was listening to. Um, Herschel Walker, yeah, I had never seen S- him S- Senate candidate in sp- Georgia, Georgia. I had never seen him do a speech. I thought it was kind of like the football player guy, kind of nice kinda. this guy did a speech that took me out of my chair. He was so good, talking about we are not we are there to fight we 're going to move forward we 're not going to go ahead and let people tell us that this is the new normal, all this woke stuff we 're not going that route that 's the wrong way to go. And and you start realizing that's what people were you know listening to. They weren't listening to I'm going to get rid of your student loan, or you know abortion's the most important issue, or I'm going to release some more get you know fuel out of the uh, strategic petroleum reserve. What, what are you talking about? Well, what's interesting on that is the White House. Someone at the White House seems to have their pulse on some of this
1: polling because they realize gas prices are going back up. And last week or two weeks ago, we talked about the story where when Biden went to Saudi Arabia, he begged them not to cut oil production, OPEC. He asked OPEC not to cut oil production in advance of the midterm elections. They said, well, screw you. They cut production prices, go up. And the White House is trying to say, well, we can have our cake and eat it too, which is we can try and address gas prices through oil, but then we can also transition away from oil. Let's see if that makes any sense. JJ, clip number one. Here's President Biden this last week announcing we're going to further deplete the emergency supply.
0: The Department of Energy released another 15 million barrels from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Extending our previously announced release through the month of December, independent analysis, uh, excuse me, independent analysts have confirmed that drawdowns on the reserves so far have played a big role in bringing down oil prices, bringing them down. So we're going to continue to responsibly use that national asset.
2: Yeah. And look what's happening here. I mean, I'm not somebody who's trading the futures in gas and oil. But literally, Saudi Arabia is just saying, oh, you're going to go dump some oil on the market that's not there pumping. This is not a strategic reserve that nobody counted on. We will take the exact amount of oil off the market. So all we did is get rid of our strategic petroleum reserve, which is there to protect us in case of a war, a famine, something goes crazy. And it didn't really save us any money because Saudi Arabia just went ahead and pulled the exact same number of barrels off the market.
1: Right. And what's so great about this is, The White House knows this is not a fix, and they know what the real fix is. J.J., clip number two.
0: We need to responsibly increase American oil production without delaying or deferring our transition to clean energy. uh, Let's debunk some myths here. My administration has not stopped or slowed U.S. oil production.
2: First of all he 's trying to balance it on both sides in one sentence in one breath say we 're going to increase uh, uh, fuel production and oil production, but we 're not going to slow down on transitioning over to clean stuff. The reality of it is is they are doing everything they can to shut down production. They're not shutting down production by going out there and turning the valve off. They're going to lenders and saying, if you loan uh, oil companies, and, and all the oil companies aren't Exxon, there's tons of small oil companies that drill, but they get borrowed money. And their lenders are saying, oh, no, we can't have that fossil fuel loan on our, on our books. And the, and the Biden administration is doing everything they can. I mean, you look at what happened with uh, the pipeline in Germany and in, in the Nord Stream. Nord Stream pipeline blew up and it's wrecking their economy. Well, nobody told us when they turned off, you know, our pipelines here, when he first gets into office, it was going to wreck our economy. You, you Don't just drill it out of the ground. You've got to pump it around. You've got to refine it. you got all sorts of things you can do, which they are stopping every Friday from doing. And he has a bold face lie that we're doing nothing to stop this. That's a bold face lie. And how do you know? You're paying $7 a gallon.
1: One of the best questions uh, at the White House press conferences this last week came from Fox News reporter Peter Doocy, who is usually one of the only sentient beings asking good questions. JJ, clip number Three. So
2: you're asking oil companies to further lower gas prices. What makes you think that they are going to listen to an administration that is ultimately trying to put them out of business? How, how is the administration trying to put them out of business? Well, they produce fossil fuels and this president says he wants to end fossil fuel. Yeah, and the Congress people, the Katie Porters of the world, get these oil executives up there or bank executives and say, are you – they're flat out saying to Congress people – she was one of them – saying, are you getting those loans off your portfolio? Yes. Are 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 you promising right now to not make one more loan to an oil company? And and even that and almost Jamie Dimon. Yeah, Jamie Dimon's Jamie response, Dimon yeah. was hell no. Yeah, he's that, he's head of JPMorgan Chase. He said that's the road to hell for America. Yeah, we're going to go ahead and just cut it off. Europe is going to be freezing this year and during the holidays during the winter because they don't have enough natural gas or electricity. Poland is burning trash to keep their power system going. They're burning trash. People have to wear masks, not for COVID. They have to wear masks because there's so much soot in the air because they went ahead and they shut down the rest of the the, uh, production that they have. So we have to have – you know, strategically, we have to have uh, oil and gas and natural gas. And as far as shifting over to it, you can argue whether it's a good idea or a bad idea, but you don't do it overnight.
1: No, and the other thing is even if you're in favor of electric cars and electric everything – The other problem is the current electrical grid was never designed to handle that much capacity, and you can't just build a new electrical grid. This is not going to happen. So what we've seen in Texas last year, they had the freeze. Texas had to warn Tesla people, hey, guess what's not going to be working? Well, your electric charging stations, because at the end of the day, is that the highest priority on the grid? I don't think so. That's not going to be –
2: they'll turn those off. They'll keep the heat on. Right. They had to keep the heat on. They had to keep the power on at the hospitals. They had to keep power on at houses. They didn't have to make sure that you could charge up your car. Now – and I understand when they say the grid. The grid is all those wires you see, massive wires crisscrossing across the country that, you know, literally Los Angeles and, and, and California talks about how oh we don't burn hardly any coal, yet the power from Utah is, is, is the coal that they're bringing in.
1: Right. Well, and the other thing is, if you're in California, we don't struggle with this whole idea of energy, really, because the power stays on. But if you're in another state like that, and like you said, what's happening in Europe, if that's what's happening in this country – the entire green energy push is going to die
2: well it's going to i'm telling you it's going to die right now in europe because you don't go three or four cold days and say keep these guys in office uh, no up next democrats push abortion rights trump testifies in a defamation lawsuit against him and the hill to die on is here the the cdc votes to recommend the COVID 19 vaccine be on the schedule of required vaccines for kids be right back tell me what you
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. This is The Weekend Answer. Garrett Fade, Jim Righeimer, AM870, AM590, also on the podcast. Programming note, Town Hall 2022 is coming up next weekend. It's on Sunday, October uh, 30th, I believe it is. So if you're in SoCal, go get your tickets. You can go to AM 870, The Answer, get tickets. All the AM 870, The Answer talk show hosts will be there, breaking down the biggest stories, giving you a preview of election, including Mark Levin and Brandon Tate and the newest host on Salem. So if you're in town, go get your tickets. Uh, You can get VIP tickets also. You can mix and mingle with them afterwards, get some pictures, talk to Dennis Prager, always a good time, talk about cigars. Anyway, talking about some domestic stories, including abortion issues, uh, Trump, and then CDC and Riggy. We talked last segment. Things are not going well for the Biden administration. The polling is terrible. New polling shows Biden disapproval, 55 percent. His disapproval among independents, 59 percent. His disapproval among parents, 69 percent. So in light of that, the Democrats thought, hey, you know what we're going to do? Let's switch to the issue that's at the top of everyone's mind, which is abortion.
2: I know. Right. I mean- yeah, exactly. You know, because parents with kids getting their kids to soccer and paying the gas in the minivan, that's what they think about. Yeah, they think about that a lot. That's, what, that's their big issue all the time.
1: So what does Biden do this last week? Well, he comes out and says, hey, America, if you return Democratic majorities in the House and Senate, the very first thing I'm going to do is sign a bill that will enshrine the rights of Roe v. Wade nationally in federal law. Does anyone care about this? Well, here's Biden trying to sell that. J.J. Clip number five.
0: That's not all. I've warned about how this decision risks the broader right to privacy for everyone. There's a thing called the Ninth Amendment that says there's a right to privacy. That's how it was interpreted back then.
2: Really? Yeah. Not a, well, you're the lawyer. I well, mean, he the went ninth, to law school. The Ninth Amendment is the right to privacy? Where did they, they dig that out of? Biden's making it up. The right to
1: privacy, this comes from emanations from penumbra's. In the Constitution. I won't bother explaining what that means, but the Ninth Amendment basically Did says. Did you pass it,
2: that class? Yeah,
1: right. Okay. You just want to make sure.
2: Penumbras? Yeah. All right. Yeah. I got that down.
1: So so Biden tried to go out there and say, well, you know, if you, if you vote for us, we're going to have a, abortion rights and also we're going to have gay rights. But the clip of the week really comes from Stacey Abrams, the uh, formerly. Uh, well, she admitted this last week. She actually was not the governor of uh, Georgia, which was a nice change of tune because she basically denied that she lost the election years ago. But she came out and was asked about, you know, people care about inflation and abortion rights. JJ, DJ clip number seven.
0: I just asked you, you're running for governor of Georgia. Uh, I would assume, maybe incorrectly, but while abortion is an issue, it nowhere reaches the level of interest of voters in terms of the cost of gas... Food, bread, milk, things like that. What can a governor, what could you do as governor to alleviate the concerns of Georgia voters about those livability, daily, hourly issues that they're confronted with?
3: But let's be clear. Having children is why you're worried about your price for gas. It's why you're concerned about how much food costs. For women, this is not a reductive issue. You can't divorce being forced to carry an unwanted pregnancy from the economic realities of having a child. And so these are it's important for us to have both and conversations. We don't have the luxury of reducing it or separating them out, but we also have to talk about what a governor can do. A governor can address housing prices. A governor can address the cost of education. A governor can put money into the pockets of everyday hardworking Georgians instead of giving tax cuts to the wealthy. That's what I talk about on the trail, and that's what's resonating. But let's not pretend that women, half the population, especially those of childbearing age, they understand that having a child is absolutely an economic issue. It is only politicians who see it as simply another cultural conversation. It is a real biological and economic imperative conversation that women need to have.
2: Yeah, you know, I I love it. First of all, he gives her the softball to go answer it. She goes down the rabbit hole of abortion, which doesn't do anything for her whatsoever. And then the left always does it, we we, we need to have a conversation. We need to address the issue we don't you know what you're, when you're governor you don't have conversations and address the issue you make executive decisions to move things forward they have problems with oil and gas and cost of goods and food and everything else and she's coming back with saying well basically women have the right you know to to have an abortion they have to because financially they don't want to have to te- you know take care of that kid and that's going to cost a lot of money so that's inflation well and what's so
1: crazy about this is i mean you're right on that but she seemed to rediscover what a woman was because yeah. she said this is a women's issue. And she also said this is a biological issue. You know, our new Supreme Court Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson, when she was in her confirmation hearing, was asked by Senator Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee, can you define what a woman was? And she said, well, I'm not a biologist. Um, and yet she's on the Supreme Court. So Democrats know who women are. Yeah. They know who the birthing people are. It's not birthing persons. It's women. But yet this is where they go, which I think proves they're out to lunch because – in Georgia, the price of gas recently was like the average $3, and uh, in California, it's 7 or 8 So they figured that out. there are doing a better job. So when in doubt, go to abortion. But, Ricky, if they get shellacked in the midterms, this will be why.
2: Yeah, it will be. It absolutely will be. First of all, like you just said, she denied that she didn't win, that the election was stolen from her, until they kept on pounding all the Republicans who were quote unquote the election deniers. Right. And she realized, Oh, I gotta I gotta change that. So you know, well of course I lost it, but what did we we really didn't lose? We had a lot of people turn off for vote. It was all that kind of stuff. So it really wasn't a loss and all this gobbledygook stuff. You know, she's a spinner from the day one. She makes her money as a grifter. I mean she basically sets up these organizations that she runs and gets paid, these nonprofits that pay her her hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. This is a great gig for her. In fact, if she she wins, Governor, she'll take a pay cut, Right, literally take a pay cut.
1: And this is someone who is not married and doesn't have kids. So when she's talking about the economic reality on women who have kids, what the hell is she talking about?
2: Well, yeah, and and, and again, like you said – until until the uh, supreme Court uh, um, hearings were up, and Ketanji Brown was up there, I mean the public was like, "What do you mean you know what a woman is? not realizing that in that world in that Democrat lefty lefty world, this conversation's been going on for years, yeah yeah you know and and and, and she knows that she can't bring that up and say that. But when you're just trying to get your votes in Georgia, you know, well, let's just say, OK, a, a woman, it's a woman's rights. <laughs> right.
1: right. Yeah, Georgia not exactly California. Now, interesting Trump note really quick. Then we'll get to the CDC stuff. Trump had to give depot testimony this last week in a defamation case brought by a woman, E. Jean Carroll, who claimed that she, he sorry, raped her in the 1990s, how do you get to defamation? Well, he said that her claims were a hoax, so she sued him for defamation. He had to sit and give depot testimony this last week. And, Ricky, we don't know what he said because it's probably confidential. But the fact that the former president was sitting for deposition is not good news for him. But I think big picture, this is probably going to be a blip on the radar. The bigger picture is going to be. How do his endorsed candidates fare in a couple of weeks in the midterms?
2: Yeah, so everybody's kind of looking at saying who's going to run for president. Nobody wants to say anything until we get past the midterms and and see what happens. The re- reality of it is is, you know, he's got a third of the votes no matter what. He can pick off people on the way down that run against him. I mean, this is his if he wants it as far as the yeah. nomination goes. Can he win the presidency? You never know how that's going to go. I would think if the country gets straightened out, in some ways, it hurts him. Oh, sure. Because oh, yeah. they're going to say, hey, the, the Republicans came in and sh- shut down a bunch of stuff and slowed it down. So it kind of hurts him going forward. But, I mean, th- these cases would never go on if his name wasn't Trump. Right, exactly. I mean, to s- someone to go on and say, you know, I-, I mean, if he raped her, that would be a crime. And, you know, that should be looked at as a crime. There must not be enough evidence. So now there's not enough evidence to say not only did I not do that, now it's a hoax. Well,
1: she's trying to get money from
2: him. Right. Yeah. Now, speaking of the presidential race, how do we get here next?
1: Well, this brings us to Ron DeSantis and the CDC. So this last week, a CDC panel decided to vote to add the COVID-19 vaccine to the childhood vaccination schedule. And this is sort of an introductory vote. The final vote will be in February. But, Riggy, for a lot of people, this is the hill to die on because if you have to take the COVID-19 vaccination to go to school, daycare, summer camps, whatever – This is going to cause a lot of parents to freak out. Enter Ron DeSantis, Florida governor. He was asked about that this week. J.J. Clip number one.
4: There's been a lot of questions uh, to our office about uh, the CDC uh, potentially adding COVID vaccine to the childhood immunization schedule. And I know a lot of parents are concerned about that because if that's on the immunization schedule, the fear is that schools could potentially mandate your child to get a COVID shot, even if that's not something that you want to do. So I just want to let everyone be clear, you know, as long as I'm around and as long as I'm kicking and screaming, uh, there will be no COVID shot mandates for your kids. That is your decision.
2: Yeah, I mean, Ron DeSantis just knows what to say, how to say it, how to put it out. And he explains it in a way, too, that's not talking down to people, but making sure he crosses the T's, dots the I's, so they understand exactly what this issue is. It was the first decision made down the road of saying your kids will have to have this in order to... Um, go to daycare or whatever. And he's just setting it up. But he's saying it's not going to happen if I'm here, which is a political argument. I mean, it's just he's just good. He's so good at how he handles those kind of issues.
1: What's crazy, though, is why they're even doing this. We're past COVID, right? Everyone is past COVID. Even in California, you don't wear masks. As we'll talk about next segment, Newsom is finally relenting on state of emergency. But the question I ask is, why is the CDC even doing this? Like, oh, what, What's I'm,
2: the win here? Get Garrett, Garrett, you haven't worked in a bureaucracy long enough. I mean, once the machine gets rolling, once the train's going down the tracks, you hit the brakes, you can't stop for 10 miles. So basically, this is just kind of built into the system. This was on their agenda already. It, it, there was just no way it wasn't going to stop. So, hey, when we return, Newsom announces the state of emergency will end in four months. And an update on the racism scandal at the L.A. City Council. Coming right back.
4: As long as I'm kicking and screaming, uh, there will be no COVID shot mandates for your kids. That is your decision.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back. Weekend Answer Show. Garrett Fay, Jim Righeimer, talking about some local stories. And Riggy, this uh, leak of the audio from the LA City Council meeting of three members who are all Hispanic. This is the gift that keeps on giving. There's so much goodness out of this. I mean, the racism's not good, obviously. The calls for resignation are understandable. So you have Nuri Martinez, who is the City Council president. She called it quits. The other ones won't call them quits. You have Kevin DeLeon who said, "Nope." I'm not quitting. And uh, other member, Council Member Gil Cedillo said, nope, I'm not quitting. But uh, off air, we're talking about some of the aspects of this, one of the things I noted is this really proves that Democrats really are not different than anyone else. You know, Anyone could have a racist bone in their body. These people are just faking it when they claim to be all PC and woke and everything. But you were bringing up an interesting issue, which is – Uh, much more to the heart of how city work gets done and how something constructive gets done in terms of housing and building. This is sort of a bigger picture deal here.
2: Yeah. So basically how that city is set up is you have almost the rights over your district. So even though the whole city council has to vote on a project or an approval or an EIR report, whatever, if it doesn't get past you, and it's called like district prerogative, and basically every other – District you know respects you to get, let you get done what you want a little fiefdom right, but think about that you're building a 10 story building, you're trying to move the project through you've got all sorts of issues, environmental issues, everything else you have to do, millions of dollars you're being spent. but if you don't have that um, elected official, yeah you know on uh, saying they want the project, it's not going to happen. Well, how do they get say yes by you raising them money? It's not illegal. It's not like you're giving them a big check, but you'll go out there and raise them $100,000. No, you have a fundraiser for them. For fundraisers, fundraiser. Yeah. And it'll be your lawyers and your contractors and your plumbers and everybody else. You'll get to buy tickets or whatever to the event so that they can raise the money. But then what happens is they get knocked out of office. You're, you're, you're almost all the way through with your project. Now the new person comes on and they say, you know what, I got to get taken care of. And the whole project stops and slows down. And basically what happens, flat out what happens is the, is the people in the city hall are told, hey, slow that down. We're not moving forward on that. And the consultants who work for the developers, they're told flat out, hey, listen, it's just not going to happen right now. We've got to get past this issue or that issue. And that's why it gets so risky to do any kind of business in the city of L.A., why a lot of times things never get happen unless they get greased all the way through. Or like in the case of building a staples or something like that, you just say, hey, the unions are going to get all the work. We're going to hand out money to everybody, and it's just such a big project it gets through but it just it's just not how you get things done where you stop and start based on who's in office right yeah and
1: in prior episodes of this show we talked people including our our former reporter Natalie Brunell there's so much corruption in city council where developers were paying off people, taking and understand numbers to they're, they're, Vegas they're or whatever. They're doing
2: it because they're literally required to. Yeah, it's the only way projects. Yeah, get done. It, 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 you know. So if you if you're a developer who says I'm never going to do that, just don't waste your time in L.A. because you're going to have to do that to get projects through for the most part. Yeah. So
1: what's big picture? Where is this going? Well, the White House called on all these guys to resign. But De Leon said he's not going to resign. Cedillo said he's not going to resign. And, you know, you got to understand why they're not going to. These guys make nearly 230 grand a year from this job, uh, and I'm sure there's other other monies that come along with it. Um, and they really can't be kicked out because the city council can't expel them. They can only uh, resign if they choose to. So they're probably not going to resign. It's going to go on. But this goes to the bigger issue of redistricting in L.A. When I mean, you wonder why. Nothing good happens in L.A. It's because you have idiots like this on the council who are not only probably corrupt, but racist as well. So it's like no surprises for L.A.
2: Yeah, and and they're basically carving up the city so that – you know, if you have like a USC in your district, you have an airport, you have a downtown development area or Wilshire Boulevard or something, you try to get all those things, get enough votes with your people, but then grab inside your lines the projects or whatever you want to have that help you raise money so that you can stay in office or go on to the next office. I mean, we got um, Bass. Right. She was Karen Bass. Karen Bass. Now she's running for for mayor. Mayor. Yep. Before she was She was in well, she was in city council. Then now she's in Congress. She was city council. No, let me see. City Council. Then when she was the assembly? Which, yeah, yeah, yeah. she was a leader I think, yeah. at the time. I'm, I'm getting all of them mixed up, but yeah. But basically, you just jump back and forth in your different jobs. And L.A. is one of the if you're on a, uh, uh, a city council, most cities you really don't make any money. You get a thousand bucks a month or something. Well, in L.A., this you is get real money. Two hundred thirty thousand to be on a city council. Yeah. In fact, if you go to the state assembly, you take a pay cut. Right when they go to Congress. They take a pay cut. Right,
1: which is why they all want to be supervisors. Yeah, yeah. Because then you make real money.
2: Real real money,
1: you don't have to get on a plane. That's right. All right, talking about some other local news, and and Governor Gavin Newsom, who, again, will likely run for president if Joe Biden does not, he announced that the state of emergency in California, which has been in place since March of 2020, is going to end. But it's not going to end today or tomorrow or next month. It's going to end, Ricky, in February of 2023. And according to his office, this date allows the state to be prepared to handle possible surges of COVID during the winter, and they said it provides local governments time to make any necessary changes. I'm thinking this just gives him time to bribe more people and hand out more money and build up his profile when he runs for president, but – There's really no justification for continuing this till February. This is pretty appalling, actually.
2: Garrett, Garrett, it's all based on science. You follow (laughs) the science. The political science? No, the actual science said it was like February, right around February. The temperature is a certain way. The sun hits a certain way. You know, you don't get it clogged up in your nose. That's what it was. It's all science. No, the fact of the matter is state of emergency means the governor can do things by himself by just saying it and putting it down on paper and saying, here's an emergency action that I can do because of state of emergency. And obviously, if we had a big earthquake and things were happening, you might want to not have to go get a bill through the legislature to fix a bridge. So we get all that. But he's been dragging this thing out forever. The legislature actually came in with bills that they got enough votes on to say, hey, governor, let's just be honest with it. You really shouldn't be state of emergency. You can keep it. We just want to take a few of your powers away. He vetoed it immediately. You're not taking anything away. And his, his uh political logic of the whole thing is the public doesn't give a damn. They don't have a clue how the sausage is made. They don't know what I can or can't do. So I'll take the political hit from the people that understand that this is just a ridiculous thing to go ahead and, and spread on the emergency. And the emergency for COVID's over last I checked.
1: Yeah. So what did he say? Quote Throughout the pandemic, we've been guided by the science and data, moving quickly and strategically to save lives. The state of emergency was an effective and necessary tool That we utilize to protect our state, and we wouldn't have gotten to this point without it. With the operational preparedness that we've built up and the measures that we'll continue to employ moving forward, California is ready to phase out this tool, end quote. But, Ricky, to your point, he's not wrong on the political calculus, which is most Californians aren't paying attention. They've moved on because if you go up and down the state, there's no masks in airports, in restaurants. You're living your life. Most people probably don't know the state of emergency is still in effect. And if you're Newsom, why would you relinquish these powers? No, the great. legislature was happy to roll over and say, hey, you run the state for a couple of years. And if you're him,
2: why the hell not? Well, and the legislature, the other part they don't want to talk about is they don't want to have to make the tough decisions. Do you think they want to make the decision whether the CDC is going to say you have to um, immunize your kids or not? And they could say, hey, no, we're going to pass a law in California that says, no, you're not, or it's your choice or whatever. They don't want to get on either side of that issue because it doesn't help. There's there's obviously be a lot of people for it and a lot of people against it, and some people just don't care. They'd rather have the governor make the decision. Say, "Oh, it's, it's the governor's oh, yeah, decision. They, I can't do it." Right, and they can pass the
1: buck. And even this gives sort of moderate Democrats or Democrats in tough reelection fights some cover. And go, "Well, look, we tried. We pushed the bill. He vetoed it. So, yep. what do you want us to do about it?" Yep. You know, it, it, it. Again, this is let an out for legislature, but at least this thing is ending eventually. But when this guy runs for president, this is going to be one of the biggest knocks against him that this lasted this long.
2: Absolutely. Coming up, special counsel John Durham loses again in court, and a transgender procedures law is on trial in Arkansas. Don't change that dial.
1: Welcome back. This is the Weekend Answer Show. I'm Garrett Fay. I'm with Jim Rickheimer talking about some legal stories, cultural stories. Riggy. most people in the country have no idea who Igor Danchenko is. It's not going to matter their daily lives. But for those people in D.C. who've been paying attention, who followed the Trump impeachment investigations, all the saga with special counsel and Mueller and all that, the name Igor Denchenko is important. This is the guy who provided the raw material that went into the report put together by Christopher Steele which was used by the FBI as the basis to open its whole investigation against Trump about, quote-unquote, collusion with the Russians. Well, Danchenko was put on trial by John Durham special counsel in a case about lying to the FBI. Danchenko was acquitted by the jury, but the bigger picture things that came out of this is two points. Number one, we learned that the FBI was willing to pay a million dollars to corroborate the BS Danchenko was spinning about Trump. And number two, we learned that even after the FBI learned that the Steele dossier was bogus— It still kept using that to get search warrants against Trump people to spy on them. So the moral of the story here is the FBI has some problems. Trump was not lying when he said the government was after against him and sort of deep state stuff. And the question, though, is what do you do going forward? And can Republicans and conservatives
2: really ever trust the FBI ever again? Well, and that's a real problem because, I mean, you'll find most conservatives uh, and and Republicans – you know they 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 give the benefit of the doubt to law enforcement, to police, to uh, district attorneys, uh, to the FBI. They just do. It's a kind of a given. It's like the the flag and everything else. It's like they're out there fighting, saving our lives, and doing this stuff. And then when you really start drilling into it, you start to find out no, they really aren't with you. I mean, they're they're not on your team. In fact, the closer you get to DC, the worse it gets. And and there's all this intrigue out there. We're, we're looking at people that are out of the FBI now that, that are, you know, consultants on MSNBC and all these other shows. They're just lefty wackos. And you're thinking, you had the power to do this? You had the power to, you know, to put someone in jail, to get them arrested? I mean, j- just getting arrested, Okay. That changes your whole life.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, even even not even being arrested, even being charged, you have to lawyer
2: up, you spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, or if you can't afford it, you just fold. Right here in Orange County, right here in Orange County, Scott Baugh is running for the the Congress, right? He's running against Katie Porter, the most liberal left-wing professor or whatever that ever could be. In Congress. And all her hit pieces say Scott Ball was indicted, Scott Baugh had charges, Scott Ball was investigated for this, Scott Ball that, and all these horrible things. She doesn't say that it was all trumped up charges and they were thrown out and that. Unlike most people, he was able to fight it for three or four years. This is like twenty years ago, okay, but you know nowhere in our hit pieces is say you know convicted of anything yeah or that he prevailed he pre- yeah, he prevailed on every single thing that happened over there, so it matters when somebody comes at you and just hits you with it. So what does that do? That puts the fear of God in people, and that 's how organizations like people in the FBI control other people because they say, listen you don 't want to have happen what happened to him." When I was in office, you don't think that the labor unions went to other people and say, "See how we're beating up Righeimer? Right. You want to be like Righeimer? Hey, you want to play the Righeimer game? You go right ahead. We'll take you out." Yeah. And the fact that I stayed was 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 you know great for for what I can move through from the town that I was in. But the reality of it is is that the labor union still won because they got it everywhere else by just showing, "Hey, look at the pinata Righeimer. We beat the crap out of him." Even though I prevailed in the end, it it didn't matter. They got what they wanted. Yeah, and this stuff is really scary, and
1: Trump could say the same thing. He prevailed in the end. They didn't kick him out of office, but they basically demonized him for three years. And again, what are we talking about? This is the Steele report put together by Christopher Steele, former British MI6 agent. He compiled this dossier that said there was links between Trump's campaign and the Russians and some Russian banks. It was all BS, but that was the basis for the Robert Mueller probe, which went on for three years, cost tens
2: of millions of dollars, and, and they, led they, to- they, they basically tapped Trump's phones. Right, they tapped the phones. They went after people like Flynn. They had all these things they could do because they just made it up. And then they'd, like you said, do process crimes. They'd say, oh, the the person lied to me in the interview. Well, he didn't really lie to you. He just has a different way he saw it than you saw it. But now all of a sudden you're going after him. And then what do you do to like a Flynn? You don't find any facts against him. You say, hey, we got some issues with your son. Right. Do you know your son? I think he was doing something wrong too. And here's how it's going to be. Either you're going to plead guilty, you're going to get it done, or we're going to get all over your son with our whole FBI department and your son's going to jail for 20 years and he won't see his kids. Well, I guess I'll, I'll plead to something. Yeah, I guess I'll say something to give you what you want. Give you what you want because at a certain point there's just it doesn't work anymore because they have so much power and, th- and this is the problem that people are having with the FBI. It has to be cleaned out from top to bottom all the way through. People in law enforcement, you know, God bless the people are out there fighting for us and doing it. The police officers and everything else and they should get and like I said always the benefit of the doubt. We're beyond the benefit of the doubt with the FBI.
1: Right. And the thing, too, is for most of the FBI agents who are at the local level who are just doing their jobs, this doesn't involve them. Right. So we're not talking about them. What we're talking about is the hyper partisan political leaders of the FBI. And what we see all the last couple of years is the FBI is supposed to be a law enforcement organization. It was political and in its choices and going after Trump. It was entirely political because there was no there there. And so then the real question is, if Republicans win the House and the Senate in the midterms, are they going to clean up some of this stuff? You know, They can control funding. They can do investigations. They might want to start with looking into the FBI. All right, other thing we're talking about briefly here is there's a trial going on in Arkansas over a law which was banning certain transgender procedures on minors. Now, if you read the article, the article is written by the AP. Of course, it's very slanted. They talk about it in terms of gender-affirming care now. Riggy, when we talk about gender-affirming care, there's nothing that's affirming about this or care because you're basically doing surgery or giving hormone
2: blockers or it, you know, it, well, this kind honest. of stuff on minors. For, for, for men, for boys, it's castration. Correct. It's castration. For girls, it's re- re- removing their breasts, 9-year-old, 10-year-old girls. And so what this law is saying, hey, you, if you're a minor – I don't care what your parents is, is told or whatever they want to do. And these aren't wacko parents, by the way. These are parents that are being told by doctors that if you don't do this surgery for your kid, the chances are your kid's going to take their own life. They're going to commit suicide. They freak these parents out to a certain point. They don't want to have something happen like that. So they go ahead and they pass this law. In most states, you cannot, even with your parents' permission, you know, uh, 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 put a, uh, a ring through your, your, your nipple, right? OK? You can't do that. You're not allowed to. But here they're going to say, hey, you know, without your parents' permission – or with, without, you can go ahead and and get surgery done to your body? Yeah, this law would prohibit doctors
1: from providing this gender-altering hormone treatment, puberty blockers, or surgery to anyone under 18 years old. It prevents doctors from referring patients elsewhere for such care. If the law went into effect, doctors who violate the ban could lose their licenses or face other professional disciplinary measures. Now, the suit was brought by the families of four transgender youths and two doctors who provide, quote, gender-confirming care, end quote. It says discrimination against transgender youth. It intrudes on parents' rights to make medical decisions and infringes on doctors' free speech rights. The last one is complete BS. But, Rigg, really, this is where things are going. Last week on the show, we talked about how there's a Virginia State legislator who wants to introduce a bill that says that if parents don't recognize the you know, chosen sex and pronouns of their kid, they can be prosecuted. The message to parents on the left is, you don't matter, And sorry, we don't care that your kid is only seven or eight years old. They apparently get to define their own reality. And if you disagree with them, we're going to prosecute you. This is just insanity.
2: Yeah, no, it's just however they feel, whatever they want to do, that's fine. It's it's your kid, and and all of a sudden they can do it. You know what? When when a young woman has anorexia because she thinks she's too fat— do we let her go ahead and say, Oh no, we're not going to get you off of that. We're not, you know, I know you think you're too fat. I know you think you have to lose weight, but you're looking at some girl that's 88 pounds saying, No, no, we got to get some fluid into her. We got to get some food into her. We got to get some psychological work so she doesn't do that because that's bad for her body. But if she goes in and says, Hey, I feel like a boy right now. Can you go ahead and remove my breast? It's like, Oh no problem. We're going to do that. Listen, on, on this item and the item with schools and the CDC, the parents have woken up they right. woken up. And not only there are they waking up, you're seeing the Muslim parents in Michigan are fighting, saying, you cannot be teaching my kids this stuff in school. We're, we're just not going to put up with this stuff anymore. And so you're starting to see the public shows up, which was what you need. Because all of us political guys talking on the radio or the, or the activists aren't going right. to do anything unless you get the masses out there. And that's what's starting that's to happen. That's exactly right. Coming up, some good news about a little boy who's finally going home after spending his first three years of life in a hospital. Be right back.
1: Everyone, welcome back to the show. Weekend Answer, Garrett Fay, Jim Righeimer. Before we get to the good news, I want to remind you, Town Hall 2022 is coming up next Sunday, October 30th, at the Hyatt Regency Hotel in Garden Grove. So if you want to go here, Dennis Prager, Sebastian Gorka, Brandon Tatum, Mark Levin, Larry Elder, Charlie Kirk, and the Morning Show crew, go get your tickets. Go to am870 The Answer. Get the tickets for Town Hall 2022. It's going to be a good time. But Riggy got a good news story about a little boy Francesco Bruno. He's going home from the hospital after being there for almost three
2: years. Crazy story. Yeah, 1,000 days. Francesco, he had skeletal dysplasia. Basically, the rib cage doesn't grow properly, and he's got some other issues. So they were talking about he's going to live for 30 minutes after he's out of the womb. It's been you know, almost three years now he's going home. Cute little boy. Obviously, has a lot of different issues with his body and his skeletal to do it, but he's going to live. He's going to live. He's been in four hospitals. In three
1: states, and imagine being his parents.
2: Yeah, and if you're looking at this kid right now, he's so freaking cute. You just want to give him a big hug and a kiss.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. He's going to have challenges the rest of his life, uh, but the hospital staff says he's getting stronger every day, and his parents took classes and are trained to handle his many needs, so... God bless his parents. Good kudos to the doctors and nurses. And Francesco, Bruno, we wish you well, little man. Hope the rest of your days are good. But again, after 1,000 days in the hospital, little Francesco is going home. That's going to do it for us this weekend on The Weekend Answer. Again, keep it here all week. A 870 The Answer. And don't forget Town Hall 2022 it's next weekend. We'll see you there.